Nafisa, it's time for our podcast. Can you hurry up? Taz, I'm coming. Jude has the Hoover on. You can't stay with me. You have to go to bed now. Good night, Good night, Good night Habibi. Good night, children. Let's play Lego. Sorry? Five minutes. Come on, let's go. You can't stay with me. Yalla. You need to stop playing. I'm Nafisa. And I'm Tasneem. Grab a cup of tea or coffee and some snacks and join us for a chat after hours. Just two Muslim mums kicking back, having fun. And talking about life, relationships, family, motherhood and more. Welcome to the madness that is our lives. Salams and welcome to another episode of Not Another Mum Pod. So today we're going to continue the theme of polygamy, a super hot topic in our community. So we'll try and be as sensitive as we can. This particular episode is pretty triggering. So do be mindful. So Nafisa, last week we spoke to Layla, who was the second wife in a marriage, and she spoke at length about how she made it work, albeit not without controversy. Without giving anything away or any spoilers, what did you think of Layla's story? Okay, truthfully, I have to say, if I'm honest, and especially since I've had some time to digest, I think there's a lot of unspoken challenges that haven't been addressed in the episode. I could read between the lines and I could almost feel it throughout the conversation that as honest as our guest was and was trying trying to explain things in the best way that she felt, you know, was her reality. I do think that there were other underlying things that haven't been explored or talked about because they will reveal vulnerability or the other side of polygamy that, you know, we know exists, but a lot of people don't like to talk about it, especially when they're going through a positive kind of experience, especially as a second wife. So, yeah, I just think that perhaps Layla was conscious of her listeners and maybe didn't want to talk about those issues and didn't want that kind of vulnerability exposed Mm -hmm. and no matter how much someone protests there has to be that green-eyed monster lurking there somewhere it's just human nature and I don't believe it when people say they're not jealous 100% I mean even the prophet's wives used to get jealous of each other yeah I mean to the point that like I said before you know when Fatima who didn't want Ali to get married again and our prophet Muhammad's peace be upon him had to speak to Ali and say while she's alive you know don't get married again that kind of showed how real that emotion is you know would hurt her and he couldn't bear his daughter's pain you know and he knew that that's the one thing that would hurt her so he gave that kind of request to his son-in-law so you can understand that so that brings me to our guest today we're going to be talking to sister sarah who was born and raised in western europe she reverted to islam when she was studying at the age of 20 and got married at the tender age of 21 sarah's here to talk to us about her own experience with polygamy and the toxic impact it had on her life welcome sarah thanks so much for coming on the pod tonight Hello, thank you so much for having me here. Assalamu alaikum. Okay, Sarah, uh, we're here to talk to you about your experience with polygamy. And we know that polygamy is such an issue in our community. And, you know, it is stigmatized and stereotyped and all sorts of assumptions are made about it. A lot of the times we hear that vulnerable revert sisters, especially, you know, coerced into this kind of arrangement because they might not feel as confident in the knowledge of Islam. And then the man that they're marrying, who, who might be a bit more knowledgeable, spiritually abuses them without them knowing or 
grooms them, forcing them into this situation. And I'm not generalizing here in that sense, mm-hmm. you know. These are just the vast number of stories that have come across a Muslim mama's platform um, from many mums as well who, who's been through this kind of negative experiences. So today you're going to share your story with us. So can you explain, how did you meet your husband, first of all? How yes, did it all start? Um, so what you were saying there, that's exactly basically what happened to me. So that's oh, my wow. story, yeah, subhanAllah. So I met him when I was studying at sports. Okay, so we did sports together and then we had the same way back home. And I was not a Muslim yet at the, this time, but I liked Islam because I had met some sisters and they had told me that there is this religion that we have and it's amazing. And I just knew Islam as something which is very, well, not good for women because I thought it oppresses women. I thought it's difficult for women to be a Muslim. So I was very surprised by what these sisters said. So I asked him because he was a practicing Muslim about Islam and I kept asking him questions on this way home. So that's also how I came to Islam then because he didn't speak my language so well yet. That's why he sent me to his friend's wife who was a revert and she answered the rest of my questions and so I became a Muslim. That was basically the same time when I met him and when I became a Muslim. Yeah, alhamdulillah, that was a good thing and it took about a year that I married him. It was first difficult for his family, but then anyhow, they all were okay. But yeah, it's such a a cultural difference, really. He's from North Africa and um, I'm from Europe. And it was such a big gap in between those cultures, you know. But at the beginning, I didn't realize this. And this was my mistake. I didn't understand that a North African husband is treated by his wife differently from a European husband. Uh I just knew my friends, my world, you know, how my father treated my mom, how my brother treated his girlfriend and that kind of stuff, you know. So it was so new to me that a person is thinking differently. And it took me so much time to figure that out and that you have to deal with those kinds of people in a different way. And that made everything possible and that made made it all go completely wrong, basically, because I didn't realize that many Arab women or Muslim women, traditional women, also Turkish women, they do stop their husbands when they start making nonsense, you know. I wasn't aware of this. I was just like, yeah, Islam tells you obedience. So whatever he does, and he did a lot of very stupid things, basically, yeah. Um, (laughs) Whatever he does, uh, be obedient. Just show him that you love him. Just be there for him. And it didn't work out at all because he was used to have women in his life who set clear borders like his mother did, yeah? His mom, she said, no way you do it like this, stop or I'm not your mom anymore. So that's what he expected probably. And he tested borders so much, not in a bad intention probably, but I mean, that's how he was raised. That's their culture. Um, Sarah, if we could just take it back to the beginning a little Mm -hmm. bit. Okay, so obviously you're telling us now about what he was like after you got married. What was he like before you got married? What was your courtship like? You know, I mean, why did you decide to get married to him in the first place? Uh, He was very practicing Muslim. So he didn't drink alcohol. He didn't go out to party. That was the life that I was used to. And I found it so different. 
that he didn't do these things. And so incredible because I thought everyone in the world does this, like partying and that stuff. So it made me very interested. And then he kept on telling me about Islam and I fell in love with this religion, really. So I'm not sure what connected me with him, but we did have a great connection and we were a great team those days. And he was different then, you know, because I think in the time that we were married, then we were telling both too much about our marriage. So people saw that we are happy. People back in his home country saw that we are happy. They were not happy with someone being happy. So he always had those issues then with Sihar and Ain and Hasad. And when this started, he started to be interested in other women. That was not the case before we got married or the first two years of our marriage. I didn't hear that really often. It wasn't serious, but it became then. You know, Sarah, you mentioned that Seher and Evelai and that made an impact on him. So what was it about that? What did he believe about that? Well, that started uh, once when I started to read about this topic. I read about jinn and about ruqya. I read a lot about Islam and I did learn a, a lot about religion also in our marriage. Alhamdulillah. But when I started to read about this topic, I found that he's very scared of it. And I never saw him scared. So it was very strange to me. One day I was like, yeah, probably you have a gin inside of you. And he started to cry. Oh, wow. And I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I'm not crying. I don't know what this is. There's just water running out of my eyes, but I'm not crying. So what? Yeah. That's so scary. That's, yeah. yeah, I know. What the hell, man? <laughs> so was he was he living in denial or did he really believe he was possessed by um, you know, he, a spirit? He believed whatever? it then and he went to Ruqya. So uh, the jinn spoke in the Ruqya also. Oh my God, yeah, this is scary. He went through all of these <laughs> things. He had a lot of Ruqya done and those shuyukh and the raqis, they said, this is sihr and Ain and Hasad, everything combined. And I found also sihr later on in my books that I had what? taken to his home country. Yeah, we had such problems, yeah. Well, I, well, hang on, what did this look like? It, so in my case, it was razor blades. And when I talked to the sheikh about this, he said, this is a sihr. It was because razor blades, they read on them and then they are supposed to cut the lives and to cut the relationships and so on and that's basically also what happened to us oh my yeah. god i'm just going to take it back you know there's just so much to this story i'm going to take it back you know you mentioned that the jinn spoke through him what did it say or he or she uh, or whatever yeah whatever it, it is the jinn said that he is from his home country and that he is a yahudi the jinn spoke through him the jinn said he, he was non-muslim yes, he said that basically. he is a jew that he is from uh, his home country and he is Jewish. And that was it, basically. Yeah. I think I still got the video. I hope this Oh my it's, God. Uh, I feel so. Oh my God. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, want to don't share that. no <laughs> video with us. Do you know what, Taz? We're going to do a pod on gins. Oh, you really? Know I feel like yeah. doing, you know what? I feel like we're already doing a pod on gins right now. This is not what I signed up for today, Nafisa. I signed up for a polygamy pod. This is a gin yeah, pod. We thought it was going to be nice and easy. Right. Oh, not nice and easy. If it would be like this. <laughs> well, compared to gins, you know, oh. um, yeah, this is this is taking a turn. No, I fear them much oh, really? less than putting oh, wow. in, that puts into perspective. Then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Sarah, no, I'm just going that. to add um, one more question yeah. before we move on with the story. This is just out of pure curiosity. Mm -hmm. What attracted you to Islam? Oh, that's... Uh, what was it about that's Islam? That's a very that good question. I that think that's so the third topic. <laughs> the third big topic. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. but I want to get so, this in um, there. <laughs> basically, you know, I was all my life searching for a religion without knowing it. 
So what I did, I tried out everything that I found. Like in school, when I learned about philosophy, I said, now I implement Stoa in my life and I stop being worried and I stop being too happy. And then I, I was with some friends who heard uh, reggae music and I made dreadlocks and I said, now I'm ragamuffin, you know, and <laughs> I, I live this life about peace and tranquility. And then when I studied, I learned about Asia a lot and I said, yeah, okay, then I'm a Buddhist now, you know? So, and I read about Buddhism. But everywhere, you know, everywhere I found that it doesn't make sense because like in Buddhism, you got one school that says always do as many things as possible at the same time. And another school says never do two things at the same time. So I sat at my desk and I said, what do I do now? And so when the girls, when those sisters that I first met started to tell me about Islam, I was like, okay, that's a new thing. So let me research about it. Let me uh, read about it. And I got the Quran and I read it. And I didn't find those problems like in the Bible, those um, it's on one page and on the other page is something different and you have to choose something. It was just, you know, one clear line and the Sunnah is fitting to it and it's everything clear. So I said, there must be something about that and maybe this is my way. And but I didn't understand about these difficult things like jihad and um, women rights until I met the sister who was able to explain them to me. And she had an answer for everything. So I said, you know, that's my religion. <laughs> and uh, how can I be a Muslim? Oh, <laughs> yeah, alhamdulillah. Oh. So she said, yeah, um, do your wudu, then you can pray with me straight away. And, you know, the funny thing, Panala, when I came to my parents, they were always like, oh, cool, you are, you're reggae now. Oh, yeah, cool, make your hair pink. Yeah, get a tattoo, <laughs> no problem, cool. And then one day I came and I said, I'm going to pray now. I became a Muslim. And they were like, what? Oh, oh dear. <laughs> I can imagine. SubhanAllah. And they didn't go out with me for eight years then. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. That's a long time. That's oh, really uh, long no, time. Alhamdulillah. Since I'm in England, they do. They're not yeah. um, embarrassed anymore. But they have a problem with the hijab only. They were okay with everything I did, like drinking no alcohol. It's fine. My mom even cooks halal meat when we come or fish. But a hijab in showing to the outside world that uh, you have this religion, that's so difficult for them. Yeah, I can understand that. And definitely that's a topic yeah. for another day. <laughs> um, bringing it back to the topic of polygamy. So can you tell us a little bit about when your husband first mentioned he wanted a second wife? Or rather, when did his eyes start to wonder? And when did you first notice that he's got the wondering uh, eyes? We were abroad together. We had a semester abroad. And one day we were talking and he said like, yeah, what would you say if there would be any Muslim scholar? And I remember that talk like it was yesterday. What would you say if there was a Muslim scholar and a woman calls him and says, you know, I want to be your second wife. What would you think about this man and this woman? And are they okay to do this? Also, it was like hypothetical, yeah, 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 but yeah. not really. So, um, and I didn't understand those days that a sister had texted him on Facebook. He had seen his profile and she was interested in him and she kept on asking him questions about Islam. She was from his country though. She was a Muslim born but she kept on asking him questions and then one day she asked if he would take her as a second wife. So that's what he told me then some oh. days later that this question was about him and I was like so shocked, so jealous. I mean he had mentioned such things before but I thought it's more like for fun, you know. I thought he wouldn't do this because he loves me and he wouldn't hurt me. So 
That's why I didn't expect it would be real. What um, did he used to joke about before? What did he used to say? It was joke? just like, yeah, anyhow, I can take a second one if I would like to. Or if he didn't like something. Or He used to say like when I was cooking, he was like, yeah, if I had a second wife, then you could both cook together and live together in a nice big house happily. Oh, happily. Some things yeah. like okay. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with the maid? Sorry? You were saying that you could cook together yes. and live happily. Was he implying that you needed some help in uh, the kitchen? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I said, what's wrong with having a maid? Yeah. Why not just have a maid to help you with the kitchen? Why do you need to marry We didn't one? have, we, we never had money since I married him. Well, having another wife is also quite expensive. Yeah, this is so. the other thing, you know, and I, I believe that this is the problem in our society because, you know, life became different. When you were in the times of the Sahaba, you could have probably two families because having one family was a thing which was, it was manageable to have two houses, you know. You did some tijara. What was a house? A house was built out of some walls, a roof, a bit of a floor, probably yeah. a bed inside. And that was a house, was right? Yeah. So, and what did they eat? Yeah, they had some dates, they shared them. But today, the education of my children, if I see how much this costs, then uh, the bills and the phone, it's so difficult. I mean, I do hardly know any man these days who have so much income that they could afford really two families. And yeah, the problem is, if you don't do it, I know there are a lot of sisters, they marry as a second wife and they say, yeah, because I don't need a man to provide for me. But they always have problems and it always gives fitna because if the man does not do this, this is the rule that Allah gave that the man has to do this. And if a man doesn't do it, it gives a lot of power and it makes a lot of fitna in any way. And it's not fair also to provide for one and not for the second one. So Allah gave very clear rules about it. But the problem is that they don't want to stick to these rules. And if we were proper Muslims, may Allah make us understand the religion, make us proper Muslims, I mean, if we were proper Muslims, then we would take all the ahadith, right? But these brothers, they take the hadith about marry as many as you can afford and as your right hand wants to, you know, uh, like this. But then if you read to them the hadith that he helped uh, Aisha radiallahu anha to repair her sock, but yeah, but I'm not like no. Prophet Muhammad, am I? He, that's a different level, right? So then they can't take these hadith. They can't help in the house. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they choose yeah, the sunnahs, yeah. right? They choose I mean, there what are such men. Clearly, there are such men who have so much money, who do this help, who help with the kids, who teach their kids the Quran, who help in the household. And I don't say that these... Are they? Really? Where? Where are they? <laughs> <laughs> I heard of some. <laughs> but only Nafisa has one, that's it. Nobody else. You know what? Tasneem is just fishing because she wants to know if she'll be a second wife or not. No, no. <laughs> that's what she asked. Where are these men? We're just joking, by the way. <laughs> they don't exist. Such men do not exist. Sorry. But carry on. Yeah, they, yeah. they actually Yeah, don't. I mean if if they would still exist. And if they are somewhere, then they do clearly have the right to marry more than one. Or if we are in a situation where it is necessary, like a war situation, I believe firmly that Allah gave these ways out for such situations in which it is necessary. Yeah. Okay. Or if yeah. he really wants children and the wife can't have children, that can be a huge fitna. I mean, that's what Prophet Ibrahim did basically. Yeah? And what happened? 
Sarah, radiallahu anha, she became so jealous that she asked him to send her away. This is the wife of a prophet, yes? Yeah? So what's expected from us that we are always perfect and that we live happily together with them without him paying any money. We work all day, raise the kids perfectly. Nearby, we write some books and study and he can stay on the sofa and watch something on his phone. So that's not how it goes. That's not how it's working. <laughs> all right so sarah tell us how it went from a comment you know about the sister to telling you admitting that someone had been messaging to actually going through with it what mm. happened yeah that was a very slow process which took about eight or nine years first it was a wish then it was more and more like searching for one And he kept on spending more and more time, especially on Facebook and on some marriage pages. And and is this right in front of you? You were watching yes, him do yes, this? Yes, of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, God, believe you know that's abuse, yeah? That is definitely abuse. Oh, that's, that's not even abusive compared to what she's been through is what that's, she's saying. That's not no? it. He kept on traveling also to his home country like once a year. And I think they made it worse. I still think that it was so much iron and hazard. Uh, one family member of him died. He fell in a depression. He stopped his studies. He stayed two years in bed. And on the phone looking for women, nothing else. So it was a very hard time. And he kept on telling me about oh these women. God. That was, was so difficult for me because he's a very honest person and he always wanted to be honest. And this was so important for him. So he was like, yeah, you have to know what I'm doing. And this is such a good sister and you really need to meet her. And, you know, those sisters who go into a family and marry as a second wife, I'm telling each and every sister, beware of that. You are 90% destroying a family and no, you're not from the 10 other percent. Yeah, because those sisters who do this, most of them, excuse me, but are really crazy. There were such very young girls, like 16 years old, interested in him He's uh, when he was almost double the age, you know. And then he was like, yeah, you should meet this sister. I was teaching at that time. So he said, yeah, let her come into your course. And then you will see that oh she is God. so good and she really wants to study and she's hardworking. So I told this sister and I did that all because I was like, yeah, you know, when your husband sleeps angry uh, with you, the angels gonna swear uh, on you during the night all those hadith he always told me you know and i believed that so i said okay yeah bring her to my course so i talked to this sister and i said you know you're interested to learn yeah so at the moment i'm teaching for free just you would have to buy the book which is 12 euros so she was like oh uhti. if i hear this uhti, this this way of saying uhti oh already you know, you know what kind of person is it's like oh uhti. It's so appreciated, but you must understand, I can't afford 12 euros for a book. Mm. You know, such people oh, he brought me all the time. And one was worse than the other. One day he was taking me out to eat and he said, you know, who showed me your value? You know, who told me that you are such a good wife? This and this woman that I'm texting with. She said, you have an amazing and good wife. You should really treasure her. 
You know, these what? are the... It's, sorry, this takes the piss. <laughs> it take, proper takes the piss. Like, excuse yeah, my language. No, it does. Can I say that on this I'm pod? I'm just so angry. But I'm how dare he? Livid, he, brought, like, he flaunted these women and then he turned it around like some kind of backhanded compliment yeah, to you. Yeah, but you know, it was just... Grooming. A, it was a fitna and I don't know where it was from. It was just because I didn't say stop. A sheikh told me this later. Yeah, the sheikh told me this about another very heavy story about, about how stupid I was, really. But he said, there is no ajar, there's no hasanat for the stupid one. I was like, what is he talking about? Why am I stupid by helping my husband, by trying to be a good wife to him? Please. No, but you know what? I don't agree with you being stupid because you were groomed. Yeah, you that's were vulnerable. Yeah. You were vulnerable. You were a revert. You took mm. him to know Islam and to guide you. And you thought you were being a good Muslim and you had no other reference yeah. points. You had nothing else to compare to. So you just thought this was yes, normal. Right, yeah. So it's not fair to call you stupid. The thing is, his friends did similar things. So he always showed me his friends and he compared me and he was like, you know, I never hit you. I am a good husband because I never hit oh, you. And, congratulations. and the, those other guys, they keep on hitting their wife. And look, he had a second wife here and he has a second wife there back in Morocco. And he has a second wife in Tunisia and stuff like this. So he was always like comparing. And that was the only world I knew from Muslims. I didn't know anything else. When I came here to England, I saw a guy, I will always remember this day, I was on the street and I stopped staring at this man. He was holding his baby in front of the shop. He was holding his baby and the baby cried. And he did not go into the shop to tell his wife, come out quickly, it's crying. He was just holding the baby. And I stared at him and I said, I was like, waiting there for three, five minutes, looking and waiting till he freaks out and brings this baby to his wife because I never saw a man, a Muslim man, oh, wow. caring about a baby when I was in my home country. I never knew that people are different, you know, so that explains probably why, of course, I knew in his home country and from his family and um, his sister is a, is a very good person, mashallah, she always told me that. She was like, you have to stop him. But I was like, how can I stop him? And when I tried to say something, he said, yeah, then I'm going to leave you. Then we divorce you know what? now. Is, this is, okay, listen, Firstly, I know I'm not an expert or anything, <laughs> but I'm just so furious about the way you're being blamed and everyone's telling you that you should have stopped him. You you were stupid. You should have No. How are you supposed to stop a grown ass man, yeah, from behaving yeah. like this? You could have walked out, yes, but you were just taken advantage of and you just knew no better. So yeah. You were groomed, you were manipulated, you were emotionally involved with this man, which makes you vulnerable. Yeah. And he had more Islamic knowledge, so-called Islamic knowledge than you. And he was using that. He was using his friends. He was using every opportunity Completely to kind manipulated of you. manipulate you, hurt you, test the waters to see how far he could push mm -hmm. you. And then when he saw that you were compliant and you weren't making too much of a fuss like his parents, were, his mum would have or his sisters would have, he realized how much he could push you and he carried on pushing you, flaunting these girls in front of you, yeah. comparing you, telling you these things, making it sound like a compliment and like making doing you meet you. them making oh you meet God, them like how the insulting is that thing. also sarah what made you accept it all what was the key thing that made you think that okay this is even though i'm so jealous even though i'm so upset even though he's hurting me even though all those excuses mm. not even excuses all those feelings that you harbored you made that secondary compared to him and his needs what was it that kept you hanging in there 
love and culture. So I loved him and I didn't want to lose him. I didn't like this thought. And my culture also because my parents are married for 50 years, mashallah. And all my friends' parents, there are almost no divorced people. And we look at divorced people like something like she didn't make it. So, yeah, and I knew some very close friends of mine. They had parents who were alone, one divorced and one widowed, and they never found a partner again. People think, yeah, Europe, that's so different. No, where I come yeah, from, it's the countryside. We have this inner idea, you know, this belief that divorce is something, then you didn't make it. So I didn't want to lose this. And I thought that he would leave me very easily. That was wrong, like it turned out later on. And I also do not blame him completely because he is from a dysfunctional family, like many traditional uh, Muslim families are, unfortunately. They raised him with quite some violence. Were there any polygamous marriages in his immediate yes, family? Yes, his grandfather had two wives, okay. but he sent one away as a punishment without divorcing her. He sent her back to her family oh, without wow. divorcing her. That's what they did in North Africa those days. And then he married another one, leaving her undivorced so that she couldn't marry again. What the hell? Yeah. yeah. Just, that's so wrong. That's just horrible. <clears throat> horrible. It's evil, isn't it? Yeah. It's evil. yeah. Actually, Sorry. there are quite a few well, men who've done that. I've heard about that. But, you know, in this day and age, you rarely hear it because women do manage to get out or, you know, there's always an exit yeah. because these men don't want to take responsibility, yeah. right? But to punish someone by forcing them to be trapped, that's just mm -hmm. awful. So, um, yes. Sarah, can you tell us about the first time you met one of the potential wives? Like, what happened? Where was it? How did you feel? Like, Walk us through. Yeah. I can't remember that really who was the first one. I met many of them, okay. but just by talking. He oh often God. wanted me to meet one. He even texted with non-Muslims then. He even texted with people who... It's like an addiction. Yes, it, it became an addiction. Absolutely, yeah. It became an addiction because there were also some people who used like inappropriate language. And um, I also read some of these things because those days I just wanted to know what's going on. So I saw his phone. I always had the code. Were they sexual in nature? Some, yes. And hang on, I thought he was supposed to be super religious and all that. What happened um, to that? Well, it's fitna, you know. The shaitan makes you start small and then it becomes bigger and bigger. So we, we know this problem and uh, may Allah. So it started to evolve. Yeah. First it started off with, yeah, let's look for a yes. wife. And then it started to evolve mm -hmm. into these haram. And then he became just like crazy for having another wife. And it became his only life goal. Through so this how, how long have you been married? Ten years. So why did it take so long? Why did, that's the bit I don't get. It came slowly and I always thought, yeah, he's not going to find one because I saw how these women are horrible, you know. Or for example, one story, he texted with one for months, okay, and then she wasn't interested in him anymore and that made him more interested in her. And that happened often. So one day he bought a present from our last money. We had like 100 euros left for eating or whatever. He bought a present oh for 100 God. euros, which was a necklace, oh a special God. necklace that she oh. had shown him. My blood is boiling. <laughs> no. Oh my God. Did you strangle him with it? Sorry. Um, Sorry, we don't condone violence. So, uh, but you know, the thing is that everyone can trap into this, believe me, because if you start yeah. it, it starts small. And then this is just like an addiction that everyone can get. Like people are addicted 
addicted to YouTube and to other things, you can be addicted to texting with women. And so it went out of the control, basically. So he took this necklace, listen, and then he went and she was in the north of my country. So it was about like eight hours away, probably. He drove there. He waited in front of her working place for her to come out because she didn't want to see him What anymore. dedication. He came out, saw that she's fat. Gave her the present, went back home oh and God. never texted with her again. Are you joking? Oh, but he still gave her the present yeah. though. We're like, why did he still give her the present? <laughs> so hang on, did she catfish him all that time? Sorry? Was she catfishing him? Like, like did was she, she not show his perial pictures to him? No, I don't know. I think she never shared a picture. Probably just of her head with niqab or something like this. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, my days. Well, he deserved that. And, but then, hang on, he came home and told you? Yeah, of you. course, yeah. Because <laughs> he's honest, yeah, remember? Yeah, he, he was very oh, yeah. honest. <laughs> <laughs> and I had many oh, such stories, days. many, you know? Okay, at this point, did you have children? Uh, no, not yet. Okay. Mm. And what was your relationship like with him? You know, your personal, intimate relationship and also just generally, you know, were you like a wife with him and everything is as normal we had those were you feeling we had those little resentment? problems little trouble like you yeah. know what common when you have sihar or something in the family that he kept on falling asleep uh, in the living room in front of tv never slept in the bedroom something like this you know but it was still good i loved him very much and i was his proper wife but he always studied somewhere else in another city so i never had a time where i properly like lived with him over a long time so he was always like out or whatever and then came basically the most horrible of all of these women she was in our neighbor country okay so it was quite some way mm -hmm. to go but he kept on going there so often to see her to meet her to talk to her and she was crazy so What happened? He married her and everything she told us was a lie. Hold on, hold on, hold well, on. Hang on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just going we, we are so interested. This is like a movie, right? It should be a yeah, film. Yeah, a lot of people told so me that you should make it's a, a horror film. movie. It's a horror movie. <laughs> horror stroke. I don't know what. Oh, it became a But horror just, movie afterwards. That's it's not, like a that's thriller. Not the, that's not yeah. the dangerous part yet. <laughs> okay. You know what? Just so our listeners know, and nearly all of our episodes are organic. So we don't know the full story. Everything is organic here. So we are learning with you. One of the things I wanted to ask you was, first of all, this horrible lady has come into your lives mm -hmm. and he's already meeting with her. So with the potential wives, he meets with them regularly. He has a relationship before considering marriage. Yes, or yes, yes. How he met working? them. Oh, there was a funny story too. Um, oh God! So he told me I'm going out tonight with a friend. I was like, "Oh, is it a woman friend?" He was like, "No, of course I'm gonna go with a brother." And next morning I asked him something, and he said, "Yeah, we were in McDonald's." I was like, "What?" I mean, never went to McDonald's. Yeah, what's that? And you know what happened then? On that very same day, I was ill or something, or I was—I I think I was pregnant with my first child. And I wrote in a sister's group that I need someone to help me with my household today. I'm going to pay it. My mom suggested this, actually. She said, get someone. You don't feel well. You need really some help. Uh, you got so many uh, tasks. So uh, get someone. So I wrote this in like a WhatsApp group, you know. So a sister, she said, oh, yeah, I help you. I am a professional cleaner and I'm, I'm doing household for a very wealthy sister, may Allah bless her. So I can help you and it's no problem. Okay. So she came to my house and when we were cleaning together, she asked me about my family. I said, yeah, my husband is so-and-so from this and that country. And then she stopped cleaning. She looked at me 
<laughs> she said, is oh he God. studying to be an engineer? I said, yes. Of this and the subject? I said, yes. <laughs> she said, oh yesterday I was in McDonald's with him. He, uh, I was uh, oh interested in marrying God. him. <gasps> How, what a coincidence. You oh can't make God. this up. How did that even yeah, happen? I don't know. <laughs> Did she know when you put the message no, in the room? She had no she had idea, no that, was idea that, that that was me. Yeah, so. And then what happened after that? You both just carried on yes, cleaning together <laughs> like it was normal. <laughs> oh my God. He went on cleaning. <laughs> and um, I still, I'm still in contact oh, with her. Dear. She's a nice sister. And you know, the moment that she said this, I knew that she's not his type. What was his type, by the way? Just out of curiosity. Or oh, what's it going to be if he's a young, sexy, young, well, tall, <laughs> beautiful and thin? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just going to add that bit. Definitely but not. Well, but. Uh, some of the well, women we didn't from the previous read this, uh, description. Also, those that he married. <laughs> oh. Is he good looking? Uh, yeah. yeah. Is he tall? He's not tall. Broad, he's handsome, he, but he's handsome. Yeah. With a head How full of hair, How muscle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's go all out. <laughs> he's a bit shorter than me. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's oh. not good. Yeah. It's more about the inner things, isn't it? <laughs> Is it really not for him? Well, not in his it? case, it wasn't. He had a list, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, so search for so the back to the cycle. Yeah, yes. that psycho wife to be. Oh yeah. Um, that girl. How did she come into your lives? I, what happened? What was your first meeting with her like? And and how did he end up marrying her? So basically, there are two stories about this. Two versions. Okay, the version that we knew first. So there was this sister, and he texted with this sister and she was Khadija okay so Khadija was uh, like my age and she was a single and uh, had no children yet and so he kept on meeting her very often and I saw a photo of her once and she was actually a bit chubby so I was wondering but he was still interested in her why was he interested you think I don't know I think when the fitna becomes just bigger you don't you don't care so much anymore about the looks mm -hmm. so he kept on seeing her and he told me later that she also tried to make zina with him and this is what he wanted oh, to wow. stop so he took her to another city to marry her did he tell you that he was going he to marry her he told me that or? he did marry her later on and in this time before that that was such a horrible time he was just becoming crazy he wasn't himself anymore I'm not sure if you know this, if you learned about Rukia or those people who are obsessed. Sometimes you talk to them and you see in their eyes that you're not talking to them. How do you know it was a jinn possession or seher or any of this? How do you know it wasn't a personality disorder or I something I think it else? all came together. He does have personality disorders from the way he grew up. And he surely did also have jinn possessions because every raqi who read on him said that. And we also had raqis with us who were like connected with jinn, how we found out later. So they had this knowledge about this world so they all said that he is clearly possessed so do you think because of all the stuff that the rakis have been saying that he's possessed or he's got a spirit inside him that's controlling him or affecting his behavior do you think that it helped you sort of make excuses for him and look at it like an illness yes. as opposed to this guy is responsible for his actions absolutely that was always what i had in my heart and in my mind that's not him do you still have that in your heart and mind i don't know a bit probably well i did understand a lot now I read a lot now after our marriage. I read a lot about psychology, about how things happen. But I still do believe that a great deal was not from him. I'm sure about that. Uh, but anyhow, even if you have a shaitan and even if you're possessed, of course, the influences are sometimes bigger, sometimes less. 
I do know some people who are so influenced that they can't do their life anymore. But still, normally, especially as a man, you still have the choice to make your own decisions, the choice of what you're doing. And that he did that wrong. And he knows that too now, I think. So, or I made it clear to him in the end, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. How did it go on with Khadija? Okay, so he married her and then you found out afterwards. Before that, it was horrible. So I thought it would probably become better through the marriage because before that, it was just crazy. Like one day he rented our flat out because we didn't have any money anymore. So he rented it out to some Arabs and we had to go in a small flat. No, we didn't have a small flat yet. I was at a brother's. I came from his home country where he had sent me for this time, but the flat was not empty yet. So I had to go to a brother's student room, okay, which was a shared apartment with other brothers. So I couldn't leave the room. And he was like, yeah, and don't make any noises because I had the baby. Baby was ill. And he said, yeah, make sure the baby doesn't make noises because there are no children allowed here. And then oh he, he took me from the airport. He brought me to this brother's apartment and he said, yeah, now I have to go. My goodness. And just dumped you in some next man's uh, house. Yeah. <laughs> The brother was not there, of course, just other roommates in other rooms, but he wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. So he left me there after this long journey with the ill child. And then he said, I need to go. And I said, where are you going? He said, I don't know yet, but I just need to go out. I said, the child is ill. You didn't see you for two weeks. Why do you have to go now? I don't know yet. So, of course, I knew that he would go to her. And then he intentionally, next day, he left it on in the navigation of the car so that I would see the city where he had gone, so that I would know because he couldn't handle this being untruthful, you know. That's how crazy and obsessed he became with her. And I don't know if she made any sihr because also she did things like when she didn't like his sister anymore, she said like, oh, could you just give me a photo of your sister, please? Because I want to make a present for her. And guess what? The sister never received any present, you know? Oh, my God. Is she from his home uh, country? No, she was from another country, uh, East Europe, but born Muslim. Okay. And after this very horrible time, I never forget this night that the, the child couldn't breathe and I was crying. Oh, my and God. And it was so horrible. And I knew that he's with her. And oh so a bit later, he told me, yeah. How did that make you feel? It was just pain. It was nothing else. I just, oh. I, I was just crying and my heart was broken, you know. And from several of these women, my heart was broken. Like when his phone rings and you see her name on the screen, it was so painful. I knew if I would say, okay, I go, then he would say, okay, go. And that's it. Uh, he would have left. He did this sometimes. He left for three days. Like when he heard that I'm pregnant again with the second child, he moved out. He left for, I think, for a week. I didn't see him. I couldn't call him. I didn't know where he is. Why? Why would he do that? He was angry yes. because you were pregnant yeah, he again? he didn't want the second child. Did you want any days. children? Yes. He wanted the first one because his family member was about to die and he wanted them to see that he has a child. But the second one, he didn't want it those times. But alhamdulillah, the second child was the best thing ever because otherwise... Otherwise, the first one oh, no. would have had a destroyed and hard life of what happened to her after the event, subhanAllah. So, however, um, uh, yeah, so he did marry her, but she was anyhow not available. And it was very, very strange. And we just knew that something's wrong, but we had no idea what. Like, for example, he told me, okay, you talk to her and ask her what's strange and why she behaves like this. So I went to this 
What? What did yeah. she do? What was strange? What um, was she doing that made so you? So she wanted to visit up? us, and then she called, "I can't come." And then he wanted to visit her, "I can't come." And then he didn't let her go to her flat. She always met him in a hotel and stuff like this. Why is that? She met him in a hotel every time they yes. met, and you know, since he married her, she would always meet in, in a, a hotel. Yeah, place I think he saw her, her flat home. once, but then he had to go and like this, you know. And we couldn't explain those things. It's almost like she was already married. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking. No, she no, married no, 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 or did she have? She said, "I'm living with a sister, and this sister is a divorced sister with four children. And because I'm living with her, and sometimes their father comes, so it's uncomfortable, and I can't." So she said, "It's a shared house." And one day I went there to meet her, and I found this just one bedroom and a kids' room. Okay, mm -hmm. so you know, but we couldn't put these things together. Like it wasn't making sense. It, yes. But you were accepting what she was saying yes yeah, yeah it didn't make sense but we didn't believe that someone is standing in front of us lying us into our faces you know we didn't think that would be possible and then like we said okay we invite you to ours so we hang on a second hang on hang on hang on why were you even talking to her communicating with her inviting her to your house like meeting her facilitating he rewarded her. me for that when i did this then he was like oh you are the best wife in the world and he gave me a oh, present and it's rewarding you the other days he was just focused on her so I never got this from him so I was looking so for sad. these for these moments basically you know and um so in a way you were putting yourself through this pain in order to feel love yes. for, you know and to get yes, love from him yeah. it's just the worst yeah. thing it's manipulation on another level yeah I've never heard this is like something it. else yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry you went through this. Yeah. Well, alhamdulillah, it was from Allah and he's testing whoever you want in the best ways. So um, one day I came to her to see her, to talk to her and it was raining. I was pregnant. My other child was sleeping. I was carrying her in the rain. I was ringing her bell. She knew that I would come and it was cold. And it, she was like, oh, ukhti. <laughs> And <laughs> oh um, coming down, wait. I was like, what are you coming down? Oh Let me God. go up to your flat. And then she came down. She was like, you can't come in right now. I'm very sorry. We can go for a walk now, but you can't come in because my um, roommate has some sisters upstairs for hijama. I was like, I'm a sister too, you know, <laughs> not a man. Yeah, yeah. Um, bring me in another room or something. At least let my daughter go to the toilet. Yeah. I can't. I'm sorry. You can't go up now. That's strange. Such things happen, really you know? Weird. Yeah. And so I talked to her. How did you feel when you met her? And, you know, I it? found that she is a very poor woman. I thought she has mental problems and she's very unwell. And I thought that's why we thought she's probably schizophrenic because it didn't make sense what she said. Even your husband? Said. Yes. And his sister who was living with me. And how did your husband feel about her being schizophrenic if that's what he believed she was? She he had? wanted to help her. Yeah. He needed to help her. We all needed to help her. That was his idea. So um, what happened one day, it became more and more crazy and he put her under pressure. He took her phone. He ripped the tires of her car. He cut them so that like crazy stuff like this, you know, Why? Um, to show her that he was here in the night. So, you know, such stories. <laughs> I don't and oh then he's, he couldn't talk to her family. Her family shouldn't know that she married. And she told him stories about this and why. And she said she told her father, but he is still in her home country. And then it became like, yeah, okay, you need to borrow me some money. 
And we, yeah. he was like, how much? She said, I need 4,000 euros and I need to bring this to a city quite far away. And you have to bring me there in your car. And then I need to bring it to the city and you have to trust me and you have to give me this money. And I really need that. And when my father comes back in two weeks from my home country, then I get access to my account and then I give it back to you. Okay. So she wanted a loan. She wanted a loan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he did this. And he was like, yeah, we need to trust her and um, she needs to see that we trust her so that she opens herself and stuff like this, you know. So he took this 4,000 euros, which he, by the way, borrowed from her brother. They were not ours. So he took these and then he brought her to the city and she went into a house and she came back out without the money. And so he drove her home again and she didn't explain anything. Sounds like a drug deal. <laughs> no, <laughs> worse. <laughs> So, and she said she needs, uh, this is money that she pays for her roommate and it is really essential. So her roommate was Elvira. Okay. So she said, I'm going to pay this for my roommate Elvira. Okay. So because this Elvira is going to be important later, later on. So, okay. So what happened then? I really should have book about it or something. Yeah. I'm watching, you know what? I'm literally <laughs> sitting here on tenterhooks and I'm waiting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how long is this broadcast maximum? I hope I'm not going, going over the time. It's fine. Okay. It's a good story. Okay. We're going to keep going. Okay, so she paid this money for Elvira. Okay. And then she went and then again, it became strange. Like in like two weeks, it should be that her dad comes back and he didn't. And then like after three weeks, we were like, yeah, when can we get this money back? We really need that. And yeah, yeah. And you're going to get it. And then we'll speak to my dad and so on and whatever. And it became longer and longer sorry yeah. sorry to interrupt you sarah during this it's okay i'm imagining me in this scenario i would be like see what you done you lent four thousand pounds to that stupid woman and now she's gone and done something with it and you're never going to get it back and now we're in debt and you've got no money and you've put us in this position like did you say any of that to your husband uh, no, I didn't. He was like, yeah, even if we don't get this back, we need to help her. And yeah, we need to be there for her. And she needs to see that it was like this more, you know? Yeah, he talked yeah. you around. Yeah. So um, he put pressure on her. He took her phone, stole her phone, basically, brought it to a brother. He brought her along without her wanting. So um, when she entered the car to go for a coffee, he just drove her to our city. And she kept on screaming in the car, trying to get out at every red light. It was horrible. Wow, he kidnapped her. Yes, basically, you can say so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, <clears throat> it kept on going like this. And what, what did he want? Why was he forcibly he taking her? He wanted her to tell us the truth about what's happening and what's wrong. Wrong because we saw that something is wrong and she was like yeah i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you i just need some days i'm gonna tell you or something like this you know it was just obsessed by this woman and by whatever you know no before that i was so stupid you know you probably won't understand this but i saw that whenever i do something for her he would give me so much love, love. so i bought a trip for them to venice oh wow yeah oh my god you know what that's so heartbreaking it was. Yeah. Like that's what i'm saying yeah it's children of abuse when they do anything to to make their parents notice yeah. them and to throw them a kind word. It, it was, was like exactly that. this. And this even, you know, I had a very stable and good childhood. It's not that yeah. I didn't get this from my parents yeah. or something, you know. Yeah. But it's still, just the way no, he broke you. That's literally yeah. all it is. It's the way he you broke you. You know, over you. the years, the things he said, it was all like kind of programming, you know. And I thought that this is the world and this is marriage. Even if I knew from my parents some very different thing. So I booked a trip to Venice for them and they went on this. Then he brought me a present 
month from there, of course. And like, oh, thank you so much. And uh, Allah will reward you. And, you know, like that. And he said, yeah, but I was keeping arguing with her all the time because she was always on her phone and um, she didn't even watch the movie with me. And I went back in the movie looking at the same part three times because she was always like texting on the phone, not seeing it. And it mm -hmm. was. So she was distracted, yes, basically. There was something, something was very wrong. And then yeah. he took her to a restaurant and yeah. she was only on the phone. And it turned out why. And then one day his friend disguised as a postman and he hid near her door. And when the postman pretended that uh, his pen didn't work, she went inside to get a pen. So he went into the house to talk to her. Oh, my God. This is scary. And then... This is like breaking an entry. Yeah. Um, We've literally he, broken every violation there is in this pod. He, he became yeah. crazy <laughs> from this. So when he went into her flat um, with this postman trick, she said, look, I'm not Khadija. And she explained herself. Oh so listen, okay. he bought for him a postman suit original from eBay oh um, so that he could get in the house like this. With so he didn't go in himself, just the, the No, the friend in. disguised as a postman, okay? Yeah. And then yeah. my husband hid behind the door oh, and I then see. when oh, she so went so in to get a pen, he went in and the postman yeah. left, oh, you okay. know? So, okay, okay, got okay, it. Okay, okay. So. so she said, I'm not Khadija. She said, Khadija went to Syria to fight in... Uh, huh? Yes. Yeah. So Khadija went to Syria to fight half a year ago. So who's she? She then? was Elvira. With Daesh? Yes. So they oh were both 100% pro Daesh. They were translating their work. What? They were managing their, uh, in our language, the, their oh, magazines. Tough. And um, Khadija oh went to Daesh after having a relationship with another man in a hotel or something like this. How it turned out later on from Elvira's ex-husband. And then Khadija gave the phone to Elvira and said, look, so that they don't know that I'm gone. Whenever someone texts you, text back like you're me. And on oh. this time, Elvira was still married. Oh my God. But when she got divorced, she found out that a guy is texting her who had a profile picture who looked like her ex-husband. So when I saw her ex-husband, it was like my husband 20 years older. It was, this, it was the same face, the oh same hair. It was like... So did she think that was her ex-husband texting? No, 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 no. Oh. Let's slow it down for our listeners. Let's clarify. Okay, so. Sorry, <laughs> sorry okay. Sarah. We're just going to clarify for our listeners because it's a very complicated... I'm going to say it again more yeah. clearly. Okay, so Elvira was in this time about to get divorced from her husband. And then uh, my husband texted her. And how we found out later on, my husband looked very alike like her ex-husband. So someone texted on Khadija's phone looking like her ex-husband and she got interested and she answered like she was Khadija. Oh, wow. And she kept on texting with him. She got divorced, kept on texting with him. She said she's a single woman. She had four children. So of course she couldn't leave us into her flat when her ex-husband and the four children were there, you know? Oh, her ex-husband was there too. Yeah, he came off and he cared about the kids. Okay. Hey, listen, so she managed to trick your husband into thinking she had no children when she was born and four children. Did that woman not have any stretch marks on her tummy? I don't want to know. <laughs> she had oh everything. Oh my God, sorry. I'm had, just like, what the hell? She had tattoos, she had stretch marks, she had everything. She was uh, 10 years older than uh, Khadija. So she made herself 10 years younger, basically. Yeah, we believed that all. Oh mm -hmm. my God. And um, so then what did, how did he react? How did your husband react when the truth was finally, you know, brought to him? He still wanted her. Oh he was obsessed. God. He was crazy. No. He said, okay, then I'm now with Elvira, not with Khadija anymore. 
That's it. And it's fine that you've been yeah, lying now, to me all this now time. It turns it's fine out. that you're a terrorist. And, and you all know, of her that family. I, think I can't get over her that. Her family. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Sarah. Let's just focus on this terrorist activity, first yeah. of all. What was she doing in the country? Uh, she translated. And what, was she, what was she helping? She translated magazines into different languages. We knew this before that she was pro because she told us that. And we were always thinking we can get her away from this. We showed her videos about this country and how they make little children shoot someone. Or she sent me, for example, a PDF that she translated. What was she translating? What was it? Propaganda. It, yeah, propaganda. it was a text from a terrorist woman who had left her family and who said, Islamically, it's your duty to leave your husband and go to join the Daesh because he is anyhow not a Muslim if he is not with you in wanting to join them. Oh, wow. So you have to get rid of these non-Muslims and join the Muslims. And they argued with uh, Quran verses and with Hadith. Uh, actually, they used Surah Mujadila, which I had studied long before. And I knew that the situation in Surah Mujadila, of course, was very, very different from Muslim women fleeing from Mecca from their husbands who wanted to kill them to the Muslims. Yeah. yeah. So they took this as an example. As an example and said, that means you need to leave your husband and come to us. So, wow. so they twisted the whole thing. So basically. when I explained this to her, that the tafsir is very different. We kept on explaining her such things and telling her that, but she thought we could change that, you know, but it turned out we couldn't. So in the end... She told us, you know, I'm going to go to join them. And um, that's already booked. Is that what the 4,000 yes. euros was for? So why did she marry your oh. husband? What was the purpose? If she knew she was going to leave and, you know, she wasn't going to be with probably, these so-called non-Muslims. Probably, I don't know. Firstly, for the money. He didn't make a clear position to her. So probably she thought he is pro-Daesh. I'm not sure about that. Okay. Because he always was like, yeah, we can't tell her so clearly because then she won't trust us anymore. And like this, you know, then because he looked like her ex. Other thing, mm -hmm. she also left her children there. So she didn't care about family or whoever. It was just about herself. And in the end, she said, you know, anyhow, our marriage is not valid because you are a kafir. And that's what I was going to say. She's not going to. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to leave and I'm going to take my youngest child with me. And the others, they stay uh, with their ex-husband, she oh, said. No. So we, we called her ex-husband and we told him that he was like, you're crazy. No, she's going to leave to our home country and she's going to never do this. And she can't and she's not clever enough for this. He was like this, you know. But we made him aware of the little one. And so he managed that the little one stayed. Alhamdulillah. Oh, alhamdulillah. Um, yeah, we believed him, but we were not sure where she's going. I didn't know that I, I couldn't imagine that and I couldn't imagine that she would manage it because it was in a time where people already said the borders are closed no one can get there anymore you know what year was this uh, that was 2019 oh it was just two years ago no, yeah seven. so mm -hmm. recently oh my god it is mm -hmm. recent, yes yeah so we we didn't take it seriously. We didn't go to the police. We didn't know if it's serious. So she went and she really managed to join these people, it seems. I heard this later from the secret service who collected me from my parents' house and what? brought me to talk to me about her. Um, so then they informed so me So they've that been tracking there. her anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And so, but what happened then, and that was the cruel and the horrible thing, the police in my home country was following my husband since many years, since before we married. 
Oh, why? It had started when he refused a job with the embassy where they were targets. They were asking him to figure out people with terroristic thoughts and hand them into the embassy to go to torture prisons. Yes. What? So he refused this job. And since this, they were following him. In your home country or in his um, home country? In that, that was the embassy of his home country. Yeah. Okay. His yes. home country mm -hmm. embassy in your yes, country right. that mm -hmm. you were in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they followed him. So in my home country, it's very difficult for Muslims with police stuff. If they pick you out once, they don't let you go. Uh, they searched our house. They came with guns four o'clock in the morning. Ten people in black standing around my bed, pointing the guns at us, screaming at us, <gasps> searching all of our oh. flat. They looked in every book. They emptied every Did you have children then? Not yeah. yet there. No. But no. later on, it there came another problem. So that had happened before to us. So he was anyhow in the target, you in know. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there in my country, a police person, a policeman, policewoman, this was a woman who was trying to get him anyhow. She couldn't say, okay, look, we have followed him for seven years. He doesn't do nothing. He's harmless. She couldn't. She had to find something. You know what I mean? Because this cost them thousands. They followed him to his home country. They listened to our car and wrote it down and translated it for four or five years. I have read all of these things, yeah, um, in, oh, in the wow. folders later oh, on God. when they closed this. It was so much money what they spent on him. She can't say oh sorry my mistake you know she would lose her job so she kept on searching yeah. and then when Khadija went to Syria they say okay great you finance that so we don't prolong your stay here you go back to your home country now and then we had a solicitor who was anti-Muslim and we didn't realize that he was actually from a family which were very important politicians under Hitler oh my god <laughs> and we didn't know that later on someone told us what which lawyer did you choose <laughs> you know he's fighting the Muslims everywhere <laughs> and um, he didn't tell us that there was a danger for him to be deported so he was like well, one day we went to him to pay some money because he took a lot of money from us of course yeah so he was like yeah on monday he needs to leave or he's going to be deported we were like what and then we changed the solicitor over the weekend we went to a faraway city to have a specialized solicitor on this when he heard our story he was like come immediately we tried to get something around and then we went to the city we went in a hotel and on sunday midnight 12 p.m They went to our hotel room where we were sleeping with the two children. The police again with the ten armed men. The oh door exploded. The mirrors exploded. <gasps> Everything flew through the room. The kids were screaming in panic. They took him out oh in his God. underwear on the floor, dragged him through those mirrors on the snow outside. They brought him in a car to the airport and sent him in a private chat. So I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Don't no, be sorry. No, don't apologize. What It's traumatic. Absolutely horrific thing. Before the courts would open, they sent him in a private chat to his home country in a torture prison. Oh, oh my God. They left his glasses. They left everything there. I took those things. I packed the children. I just closed the room and I went in the car. I went those eight hours, just stopped to buy some Red Bull on the traffic station so that I wouldn't fall asleep. And I kept on going as fast as I could. And I couldn't reach the plane anymore, at least to give him his glasses and 
or or to whatever you know and then those police guy called me he said you don't need to hurry anymore the plane is gonna leave in 20 minutes you know we were phoning the, the solicitor out three o'clock in the night everyone they were trying to start anything and they couldn't so no one could stop them. We, we knew he would go to a prison he would be tortured and that stuff so oh my god this was the most horrible night of my life and when i came home i just put the children somewhere i started to call solicitors in his home country who fight for human rights and so on and alhamdulillah you know we managed that a solicitor came there came to the prison where he would go before he arrived and he was like okay i'm his first solicitor and this is the contact of his second solicitor and this is his solicitor in this in this country this is solicitor in this and this european country and this is his human rights solicitor so if you touch him if he has any scratch when he comes out of here you're all gonna lose your jobs and so this is why they didn't torture him like the others the others who sat there with him they're never gonna walk again they were hanging up on the ceiling and the stuff you know what we always heard about oh a God. father oh with goodness. his with his three sons one of them 13 years old in this prison they were hit they were tortured mm. they were put in those cold rooms and sprayed with oh. water and then you know all those things subhanallah and for him they just let him like sit for eight hours without moving they didn't let him go to the toilet they say yeah wetting yourself we don't care because anyhow you stink and, and then he had to stand and face the wall for 10 hours that's what they did to him but or they just slapped him or something like this but they didn't at least break his bones or something alhamdulillah and so he was there for two weeks until they managed to get him out alhamdulillah just to take you back a bit you know mm -hmm. that night when they invaded your home and what they did where were your children and how were they and how did you protect them that was a hotel room basically because we were not at home we were in this other city where the human rights solicitor was okay so the children were with us in the bed they saw this how they took their father away how old were your children then six months and two years almost two years Oh no, no, that must have been so so traumatic i can't even i don't know how you got through that you know you're one yeah. strong woman to have gone yeah, through all of this you know i'm very strong because i had a good childhood i think so that's that makes people stronger i brought the children to a psychologist after this alhamdulillah i was so relieved when she told me that she said those children are perfectly fine because you are stable She said, if you are okay, yeah. then these children are okay and they don't have any problem. But they had their test afterwards. So, subhanAllah. Oh, no. <laughs> What do you mean they had their test afterwards? I can't take this I know. anymore, This Sarah. is just... I'm oh not sure I'm enjoying this. Yeah, now. I know. <laughs> just, so, just, just keep going. What, what happened? Yeah, don't miss anything. Yeah, yeah more <laughs> scared of second wife stuff than of other things. But alhamdulillah. Okay, so he got out from there, alhamdulillah. And then he started to go into politics, basically, in his country. He um, started to connect with human rights solicitors. And he started to fight for this against these torture prisons and so on. At this point, do you think the Sahar and the Jinn and no, all that had gone? No, it hadn't. It hadn't. The topic okay. wasn't over. Oh. Oh, no, no. Because the reason why we're asking is, obviously, she's out of the picture now. And if the Sahar was there and he was totally obsessed with her and she was everything to him. No, she had... The, it, he's obviously the controlling that now. From her. He had Sahar before. I know that some people of his family were doing Sahar. You know, in his home country, they sometimes do this openly. So, for example, for his sisters, they made a lock so that they couldn't have any sexual contact to anyone before they marry. And when they marry, they open the lock for For example, his sister, someone tried to rape her once and he couldn't. He was blocked. Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, later on, we opened her lock. But the other one lost the lock. She's still not married. Mm. So they do so these, these things. So these are like black magic. Yeah, that's, that's black magic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's so scary. 
I've never heard anything like this level of black magic before. Yeah, People can get to extreme levels with this, honestly. He's not the worst person I saw, but he has quite a high level. He was then in his home country. I was uh, back in my country. And in my country, when this happens, when you are anyhow in front of court or something happens due to terrorism, the next step is they threaten you to take your children away or they take your children away. And I told my mom, I said, mom, he's gone now. The next thing is they take the kids. And I'm scared of this. My mom was like, never, you still don't trust the system. And that's not right. And then, yeah, two days later, I got the letter from the youth council mm -hmm. saying they need to talk to me because the children are in danger with me. Oh so I so the nightmare just continued. Oh, didn't yeah, it? yeah. Well, the nightmare started. Okay, look. Oh, my so God. So I called the solicitor, the family solicitor. I said, if I go to the airport now to bring my kids out, will they take them away at the airport? He said, yes, very likely. You should not leave through Europe. So he said, you better come to me now so that we talk here. And so I went to him. And he said, look, take the night bus to Turkey and from Turkey, which is out of Europe, fly to his country. So uh, we searched. We not, we didn't find any any bus to Turkey. Just like two weeks later and that it was just too late. So subhanAllah helped me. I took the night bus to Switzerland, which is not EU. Okay. And I waited with the two little kids with the luggage. With a six month old and a six year months old. and two years. Yeah. Uh, we spent the night at the airport the rest of the night and six o'clock in the morning, I went to this Swiss guy at the airport and I said, I need a flight to this in this country, not North Africa. He was like, yeah, we have several flights. The cheapest one is over this country. And he told me my country. <laughs> I can't take oh that. Job. He was like, okay. <laughs> he kept on, on searching. Yeah. So he said, oh, here is one over Turkey. Okay. I said, yeah, great. Book it for me. So he tried to book it. Didn't work. He was like, oh, okay, probably something's wrong with this card. But if you go to the cash machine and take the money out, then I can book the flight for you. Okay. I went to the cash machine. I gave the pin. It's not possible to take so much money. The machine <gasps> said. I was like, I went back him i said it doesn't give me the money so he said okay then you need to wait till eight or nine o'clock till the bank opens then you can call them and ask them at eight o'clock i called the bank they said we don't have anything to do with this you have to call mastercard i waited till nine o'clock i called mastercard they were like ah yeah we see that twice the amount of 600 was blocked from the airport in switzerland and now there is not a third amount to book the flight anymore and i was like okay can you oh please unblock God. this they were like no we can't. Uh, you have to wait. It takes up to 14 days till this amount is yeah. <laughs> oh coming my God, back on that's right. So I went to this guy on the airport too. And I said, look, listen, this is my story. I got a letter and they threatened me to take my kids away because my husband was connected with terrorism, which he's not at all connected with. And he was deported. And now they threaten me to take my kids away in my home country. I can't go over this home country. I need to leave Europe with a flight now. So he started typing. And then he said, I got a flight here from this other, uh, from, from another city in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. If I give you all my worker yeah. discounts, then you have enough money for the train to the city oh and for God. the direct flight to him. Oh my oh, God, subhanallah. look at that. Really, Allah sent him, you know, may Allah guide yeah, him to like Islam. Properly. Uh, he was so kind. And so I did this. I packed the kids. I ran to the train. I went to this other city. Oh, it was so tiring. When I was there. 
then this woman there but she was like yeah but you can't fly with the children to this country because you don't have the father's signature i was like they have the nationality oh. okay and can read this here on this paper and i started crying and so she brought her mm -hmm. colleague to translate and whatever and then in the end she said yeah you were right you can go but let me tell you one thing if something in your life doesn't go right you shouldn't always just at one start crying <laughs> Oh, oh my god, god. how sympathetic <laughs> oh my god i don't forget this really so i went there i went to his country and alhamdulillah i brought the kids there i stayed there one week and then he said look the kids don't have any things we have already booked a ship to the country beforehand and these tickets are still valid so i suggest you fly back now you take the car you pack it full with all the things of the kids and you bring it here and then we stay here yes to go back to this to the scary it's, place where they might catch your kids and no, take them away I just, from you. I, I left the kids with him. I left the kids in the country. Oh, so. okay, okay. And okay. that was also convenient because I wanted to go with the lawyer to the youth council in, in the country and talk to them without my kids being in the country so that they are not in danger and talk to them because, you know, I'm very sure that I knew I had this psychologist who said there is nothing wrong with them. I knew I care very much about education and about how to raise the children. And I have my principals and my scholars that are follow there i mean also like not only muslim scholars you know like about how to raise children i got quite some many books about this so i wasn't really scared but i wanted to resolve the issue and go there alone with the solicitor so i went back with the plane after one week i went there and um the talk with the youth council went very well alhamdulillah so they said like yeah probably you're not gonna have problems anymore soon so we try to finish this and first they were very scared because i came with solicitor they never saw this before but then they were like yeah okay we can't say anything else and they saw that what was written on the paper from the police was such a nonsense it was written that because the children are traumatized by taking away their father it doesn't make sense it's not it's not reasonable that they stay with the mother now how does that make any sense it didn't make sense to them too so they admitted this and they traumatize your children yeah. more yeah, than this, anything else this is the thing that's what i told her yeah so okay what happened then after one week I packed the car. I went down to Italy. From Italy, I went on the ship and I went to his country. And when I drove off the ship, the police stopped me. And they said, who's your... They always do this. They always uh, ask, like, who's your husband? Who's your father-in-law? What's his name? What's his profession? Who's your mother-in-law? And so on, yeah? So they did this. And of course, when I gave his name, they found his terroristic things in the passport and in the computer. It's, I saw it. It becomes red. It has a red frame and it's written... Uh, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> specify this then. There's too much, but it's written something like terrorist, you know? And so when they saw yeah. this, they said, they were like, yeah, you have to go in there and sit there and wait with those people. And um, we have to check the situation first. So I did this. I waited an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. I called the solicitor there in his country. I was like, they leave me here since four hours and I don't know what to do. He was like, okay, they have to leave you in and your children are here and they don't have a right. And so you just have to wait till we come in. So after like four hours, something, one of them came to me and he said we do not allow you to enter this country because you are a terrorist and you're going to go back on the ship oh and go God. back to italy where the ship goes okay it didn't even go to roma 
where I came from, it went to Sicilia. Okay. So I said no, because the solicitor told me you don't have to just stay there and wait no matter what happens. That's what the solicitor said. Yeah. I said, no, I stay here. I wait for my solicitor. I want the solicitor to come in. Then we can resolve this. There is no solicitor who has this right to enter this because we are the police and we are saying what's happening here. And it started like this. And I was oh. sitting there. It was Ramadan. I was fasting. It was hot. Like a dream oh situation, you know? I closed the car with the key. I had the key in my hand. And then they brought all those policemen. Very uh, horrible people with broken teeth, you know, with black teeth. Yeah. They came to me so close. They oh screamed God. at me. If you don't go to this ship now, we are going to get the dogs. I said, bring your dogs. Oh I'm not scared of dogs. What do you want with dogs? Yeah. And we're going to bring the crazy and we're going to bring this car on the ship now and if you don't leave and you're going to uh, like this it went on half an hour I said that I said I don't leave I said I just want myself were you feeling scared? yeah you like you of were, course you I was so no moment, but I hope my heart was beating yeah of course mm -hmm. so after that they came seven men they took me up they wanted to bring me in a car in a small car I fought against this car and it took them five minutes for seven men to bring me into this car they cracked my hand they put oh my, my hand God. in the door they squeezed my oh, fingers oh, they took my hijab oh, off oh. they um oh my gosh yeah you know the key ring bent open on my finger when she took it away from uh -huh. me and in oh, the end then I, I screamed for Allah for the solicitor the people on the ship they were filming it and then police was surrounding them asking every single one to show all the content of their phone to delete it oh and um, it was even then a lot of people saw this on Facebook and followed this and so many actually it was like 10,000 people saw this on Facebook and um, they brought me in the ship I called my embassy I said mm -hmm. I am broken I don't feel well I'm not okay to go on the ship now for such a long time I'm shaking I'm medically not in the condition I can't stand anymore I'm hurt and three days later, she said, I talked to her when she was there. She was fine. <gasps> she gave the statement or written on paper. So I knew that my country doesn't want me if I'm a covered oh Muslim. And that was my reason to leave my country. This the statement of this woman, basically. That was, yeah. So this passport, this European passport is not valid anymore if you don't comply to their line. So that happens in the whole of yes. Europe then? Yes. Yeah. This happened oh to a God. friend of mine too. It happened to a friend of mine, the very same thing. They didn't let her enter the country. And then later her, her husband uh, drowned in the sea. He died in the sea um, when he tried to go to Italy with a ship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah, that didn't happen to me at least. So they didn't let me enter. So when I was back on the ship, they closed me into a cabin, which was illegal. That's without any, you're not, you don't have the right to close a person into a cabin, especially in a ship. If it sinks, I couldn't get out from inside, you know, yeah. they left me there and alhamdulillah, then some people came to bring me some iftar and stuff like this. So they sent me back to Italy. And then in the morning when I had reception from Italy country, my husband called me and he said, even the interior minister heard about it, he said, and if it would have been a ship from our country, they would have stopped it. But as it was an Italian ship, they couldn't stop it. And so take the next ship and come back. They will let you enter now because now everyone knows about it. Yeah. So I did this. I took a hotel in Italy and then the next day I entered the ship and I went back the ferry. Where was your car? It was always point? with me because they took the key from me. So they brought the car back on the ship. Okay. So the car was with me. So I went on the ship and then people recognized me on the ship. 
because they had seen this on Facebook and in the media. They wished me good oh luck. God. And before the ship docked on land, they called me through the speakers. They said, Sarah, to the reception. I went there and then 10 Polish people came on the ship and they said, we are sorry, you're not going to leave this ship until it leaves again and you go back to Italy again because you're a terrorist and we still do not want you here. Oh my God. Whoa. And the embassy from my country, they had promised to be there the next day. Nothing, you know, no one came. A lot of people came to see this, media came, but no one that they care about. It was horrible. I was thinking to jump into the water or to jump down from this high uh, thing in the ship to break my legs uh, because then I thought they would bring me to a hospital or something, you know, but it was all not yeah. sure. Maybe you break your leg and then they leave you there with the ship doctor, right? Um, I mean, that's... <laughs> so yeah. I just felt so tight. I just sat there and I waited till the ship left again. I went back to my country after 10 hours drive because the ship stopped far away from where I, I came from. So I went with another ship back to North Italy and then back to my country. I started to do the preparations to leave my country. I didn't want to stay there any longer. I gave my flat away. I didn't know yet where to go. I sold my things. I sold my books. I sold my clothes, everything. And that took me like some months. And the thing is that they couldn't manage to get the kids back to me. So they were half a year in his country. He was almost not being able to be there and whatever. The thing is, before I came there bringing the children, he told me that he married again. Huh? Yeah. Oh like he God. didn't learn his lesson the he first didn't. time around he married again and this time it was a very good oh woman she was in my home country not in his probably okay. understandable you know if you have a wife there then you know but she was in my home country so what was the point there i really can't say anything against this sister you know no, but what was the point of him marrying somebody who's yeah. not even there like i don't get it i don't know it's just addiction i don't know it was just craziness yes this was a good sister yeah she was a widow and whatever you know i couldn't say anything against her except that she went into a family basically so i don't think that's okay to do but especially in the situation where i kept on working so much i worked in three jobs then i was teaching i was doing other things just to finance these things we had to finance the solicitors alhamdulillah allah made it easy for me i was never lacking money i always had the exact amount of what i needed but they didn't manage to bring my kids to me for six months i didn't see them i couldn't go there and that was yeah. the most horrible time and yeah my daughter she was in front of the tv for six months and the little one didn't speak my language anymore they only spoke arabic then oh, wow. i couldn't even talk to them on the phone anymore because they were so small and then they didn't understand me yeah. anymore yeah mm. it's so heartbreaking it as a mother to go through all of this i can't even be you know when my kids go to school i miss them yeah i don't know how mm -hmm how you did this and the thing is you didn't know it was yeah. six months you it could have been for an eternity yeah. it was they're not knowing right? i thought it's just gonna be two weeks i thought we're gonna find a way to bring them back i thought someone can come on and, and on and on yeah we tried you know they said okay there is a sister she's gonna fly and um, from his country to you and she can take the kids with her and then on the airport my daughter never saw this sister before she was so scared she kept on crying 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 till she vomited because she was so scared and when she kept on oh. crying they saw whose children these were because all the police knew our story everyone knew him so they saw whose children these were and then they say these children don't fly so i had gone to the north of my country to pick them up and then i got the call they're not coming 
it, it and this happened all the time. So what I did, I left all my things. I went to the neighbor country in North Africa. When I got the visa there, I went there. I went to my friend's husband's house, to his family, to his mother and brothers and sisters to live with them until I got the flat there. Um, I rented a flat for three months uh, for the time of my visa. And then I went there to the border and at the border, the solicitors brought me my children after half a year of not seeing them. Alhamdulillah. And it was so horrible. They were scared to go with me. They didn't know me. Oh my God. Can't imagine that. And when I showered my boy, he screamed for my mother-in-law's name because he was scared that I put water over his head. That was so horrible. That was so horrible for me, honestly. I can't, no, I can't imagine, imagine that. How painful but, that is. Yeah, alhamdulillah. But it didn't take long till they spoke my language again, alhamdulillah. Uh, about two weeks. Then I started to like homeschool them, buy them books there. And I thought I would stay in that country. I planned that. And then also he managed to leave his country and come to that country. So he came there and then we stayed there together for some while. How was that when he came back to it you? It was difficult. It was difficult because well, he was... What was your relationship like? Knowing that he's I, got I another wife again. I still loved him. I still loved him. I tried to manage, I tried to stay with him, but he was broken, you know. He couldn't show his feelings anymore. He was broken from that prison. He wasn't normal. And he had depressions also still a long time after this. So, Sarah, tell us what happened to make you leave him again. Yeah. <laughs> so I came to England then to... Um, it's, it's difficult to explain, really. I don't know. Probably a sihr fell off. That's what I think. That's what, you know what? I was feeling like we're talking about him being under the influence, but I feel like you might yeah, have been as well. Very, very probably. Because you know what happened? He went on Umrah and the day he prayed on the Kaaba, he called me and he said, now I realize that I love you so much and all the things that you did for me. And I said, and, but by chance today, I realized also that I don't love you anymore and that you did too many bad things to me. Oh my God. So, amazing it was like it was like something fell off and also here in england i saw men behaving differently i saw men treating their women differently i saw men talking to a woman normally you yeah. know in my country it's not like this it's always i don't know it's it's anyhow different they in, in my country they 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 behave like they are so well behaved muslims and then from behind they stare at you you know yeah, and yeah. here they see you like a human like very normal and it felt much more normal to how i grew up with which is also not right there shouldn't be close contact between men and women also in islam but it just showed me that there is something else and that the way i used to live it's not the right one. I guess it showed you different kinds of Muslims as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So because you were with one type of Muslim, mm -hmm. because you were new to the religion and it's all you've been exposed to. And this is what you thought was the norm. And it wasn't. When you come here and you see how, you know, the interactions that you were saying between men and women are normal, i.e. not sexualized is what I'm assuming, in that they're able to communicate and, mm -hmm. and be together yeah. without it becoming a thing. Yeah. So many things influenced this. and But anyhow, I felt like I want to take my divorce. Yeah. I wasn't completely sure, but I felt that I need to set an example. How did he take it? How did he react to that? Oh, it was a shock for him. It was horrible for him. It was really difficult. He what did he, he do? What did he he freaked say? out. 
Yeah, I don't want to like name all his mistakes, you know, but um, he was very, very sad, very broken. He became extremely depressed. Um, he broke his hands until now. I don't know how, why he did this or how he did this, but I guess um, just to find something for me to have a reason to take him back or something. Probably, I don't know. Probably it was an accident. Allahu alam. He looked for people to blame in my area, the people that I was with, and he found some that he thought they are to blame and that they told me this. Oh, so it's nothing to do with him and his actions? And nothing, no, nothing he realized yeah. that. He, he okay. did realize okay. this. Okay. I need to say it. Yeah, but you know, people always look for someone to blame to make it easier, I think. So when he started to attack those people, I said, no, you know, that's it. Once he became also like dangerous, I, I called the police once in England where I am. This causes a big series of events. And now basically I'm trying to fight so that he's allowed to talk to the children again oh i yeah. see so they, they they thought he was a risk to the yes, children so yeah. they and probably he was so. kind of a risk those days probably Allahu mm. alam, yeah because he was really depressed and at least he was not stable enough for the children yeah but now it seems he's better Allahu alam. he wants to help with the children anyway now and uh, trying to trying to arrange this yeah where's his wife number three? still in my home country okay they don't live together they don't live in the same country and yeah but alhamdulillah, so that was the story. And I need to just mention it. He said, he told me then when I said, I leave you, when I said I divorce, he said, I'm going to leave every second wife. I'm never going to speak about a second wife again. I said, no, I don't want to break a marriage. She loves you. She's happy with you. She's a good woman and she can help you. Then I don't need to help you anymore. Yeah? But he didn't want it anymore then. I think this is important for all those husbands to hear. The, even if if only if, if more women listen to this podcast yeah yeah the men need to be aware that this is destroying families and of course i wouldn't speak out against polygamy of course i know it's an islamic thing and i know it's sometimes allowed but i speak out against it if it's against the rules if you can't afford it yeah. if you don't have these possibilities i also don't find it as simple as just as long as they can afford it and as long as they're equal in time i know that's the very bare minimum yeah in also terms of psychologically rules. there's just so much more to it you need to be such a strong yeah. man and you need to know the rules very well and stick to them and not get taking any pleasure from making one jealous and then you see that she loves you or something. That's not what it's about. Yeah. And it's really hard work. Two wives is hard work. And I know some stories that were really harder than mine, you know, because I'm teaching. I always hear my student stories because you always tell your suffering to the teacher you know yeah yeah so i know stories where she had to witness the marriage night uh, next door in her own room oh my god is that or cool? another student she lost her child and the day they took the dead child out of her body he went to marry another one that's oppression. All of this is oppression. But they become addicted. They become crazy. They forget about Islam, about their life, about the rules. This is the fitna, you know? So, um, just to wrap up then, Sarah, how are you now? How do you feel now looking back and reflecting on your experience, on everything you've been through, all the trauma, the heartache, but also the incredible strength you've had to come through it for the sake of your children? You know, what's your takeaway from all this? And what kind of final words do you have to say? I, to need, I need to say, I'm, I'm not that good also. So subhanAllah, I made my big mistakes and may Allah forgive everyone the mistakes, subhanAllah, yeah. yeah I mean, so the people should look at their own mistakes first, basically, the Muslims, before they look at others' mistakes. But I think that I've learned that other cultures have to be treated differently. People of other cultures have to be treated differently. I can't take my mentality 
into another marriage. Now he is also very common, this I want to take a second wife idea. And I know two or three sisters, they said, no, they said, you can't afford it. You can't give me my rights. And also the imams here, they told him this. They said, yeah. you can't give the rights. You can't do it. That's it. And they all prevented this by just saying no. She said, I'm going to leave then. That's it. And I should have said this, not because it's not Islamic, just because it wasn't his right. And it wasn't the situation for it. I should have stopped it. And I thought that he would leave me. Then I would raise my kids alone. And I've made my mistake. Now I do raise my kids alone, basically. Alhamdulillah. And I'm sure you're doing a much better job. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I try my best, but it's not always easy. A marriage is never easy and you have to fight. But whenever your rights are taken, you shouldn't just shut your mouth and let them do it, I think. Absolutely. But you know, all the things that happened, they were good for us. They were our tests. And some of them, we did them well. And some of them, we did them not well. And may Allah forgive us those. Mm. But Allah tests those whom he loves. And so I am grateful for what I went through. And it made me a different person. And I hope probably a better person. At least a person with more understanding. It taught me I shouldn't trust every human being. Because if you are a good soul and you are truthful and you speak good to others, then you expect the same thing from others too. But it's not always like this. There are bad people out there and we must be aware of this. Jazakallah so much. Sarah for sharing your story with us I mean it's been a roller coaster I don't think we've had an episode like it um, nothing yeah, like, nothing like this it's on another level we've been up and down with your journey and even we've been laughing crying, laughing, crying everything, everything. It's, it was literally yeah, that's a roller how life coaster is, it is <laughs> but this is on another kind of level and I'm just thinking this is just one story that we're hearing from you and imagine how many other vulnerable sisters out there in the world yeah. who have you know all sorts of stories that we just don't hear about so much yeah. i just wanted to ask you sarah final words to non-muslim sisters who are thinking about becoming muslim or the newly muslim sisters who have married born muslims and you know who might be in a similar situation to you but you know maybe at the early stages of your life and where they know their husband might be contemplating taking another wife you know what advice do you have for new Muslim sisters as well as as sisters whose husbands are beginning to talk about polygamy? So my first advice is the dua in azkar. Because if you have dua in azkar, then the things like sihar and hasad and ayn will not harm you. And when I forgot them, it always went down. And when I made them, I was always stronger, even if going through a test. So this is the most important thing. If you remember Allah, if you do your dhikr to Allah, then you have more protection shield around your family. And this is something that most Muslims neglect these days. I do also advise people not to tell about their marriage because for basically eight years, I kept it up and it was still quite a good marriage. And when I started to tell people, it went down. So you shouldn't. I should have said stop in other situations. So make sure you gain knowledge and make sure you get aware of other cultures. Read about the differences of cultures, about such things to understand what you have to take care about. Because such easy communication differences can make life so difficult. Always communicate with your spouse. Always speak about your feelings and make it clear, but not too much to make you vulnerable again. There are basically so many lessons that I learned and so many advices, but it's very important to know that sometimes people connect this to Islam and they say, yeah, Islam is bad or can't be right because there is this polygamy and this is how it ends. No, what happened to me was completely wrong in Islam and it has nothing to do with Islam. It was a fitna from shaitan that was bringing things away from Islam to make us weaker 
and to destroy us. May Allah protect all of you, every single Muslim family in this world from this and make their Ameen. lives easier. And if you put your trust in Allah, you can handle it. Inshallah. Inshallah. Taz, final words? Well, firstly, Jazakallah so much for coming on. Um, not another mom pod today and speaking so openly and so candidly about your experience. You know, I feel like I felt just some of the emotions that you've been through. And I honestly, I know you say that you're not that great and you're not that strong, but to me, you are. The fact that you've come through on the other side, you know, I'm finding it so empowering and inspiring. And I hope our listeners, you know, will feel the same as well. Jazakallah, Sarah, for sharing your story. We're all inspired by you, your strength, your resilience. And also we make dua that Allah makes life easier for you, inshallah, going forward. And um That you do find your life partner and your soulmate who will treat you the way you deserve to be treated. Inshallah. Ameen. Ameen. Jazakallah khairan. Thank you so much for having me. It was good to tell it, honestly. It made me feel good. Thank you so much. Jazakallah. So, Nafisa, that was one hell of an episode, I can tell you that. It really was. How are you feeling? I'm feeling exhausted. I have to be honest. I feel like I've been all across Western Europe, you know. And North Africa, don't forget. And North Africa. And I've been tortured and I've witnessed all these ladies and just uh, I don't know what to say I, I don't like to use the word horrendous but it does feel like a horrendous story and I know not all polygamy stories are to this level of course of not especially the one we did last time it's yeah. like nothing like this no but also it's unusual we don't normally hear positive stories about polygamy yeah. we do hear negative stories but this was on just some other other level mate we had polygamy we had terrorism we had Gins and other kind of, you know, forces at play. Um, there was a bit of everything in this, honestly. Yeah, it was a movie. It was yeah. a movie, literally, like a thriller where you just don't understand what's happening or what's coming next. But my big takeaway from this is uh, the moral of the story is don't get, get a second a one. Second one. <laughs> it's not even funny. It's like, not guys, funny. Guys, just don't do it. You know what, right? But obviously don't do it. But if you do do it, man, do your bloody due diligence. Don't just yeah, go marry some random Khadija, right? And you just make <laughs> her work for it. And it's like, yeah, hi Khadija with your tattoos and all of that stuff. Yes, yeah, everything's fine. No, no, you don't do that. But you know what? Just want to make it super clear. We're not taking the mickey out of this and we're not trying to joke about a sunnah here. So if we're going to talk about a sunnah here, just understand that there are conditions on it. It wasn't a free for all. Monogamy doesn't really have that many conditions. So, you know, you can have one partner and, and be happy with that person and just try. And you know what? Yeah, marriage is so tough anyway, right? Why would you bring in a third party? What is the point of well, that? I just think that it's there for a solution as and when you need it. For yeah. example, when you can't have children, for example, when there's a war yeah. and, you know, they need to be taken care of or because 100%. of certain reason. But right now, there's no reason why women can't work. There's no reason why they can't be provided for and be financially independent and all of those things. Is there a real reason now to you know, practice this other than fulfilling some fantasy that you might have. I think there are some very genuine cases where they yeah. do marry widows and they do marry um, sisters in need because they feel a genuine care. But even that needs to be handled with such sensitivity because no not matter like what. This. Not like this. Uh, definitely not like this. And even in the last episode, I don't want to give anything away, but even with regards to the last episode and the last discussion we had, I don't think everything is as rosy as it appears. I feel like, yes, things can be positive and yes, it, largely it's working and alhamdulillah for that. But we are all humans and we are going to have that kind of feeling of jealousy or that feeling of, okay, you know, I'm not number one anymore. 
you know yeah. we're going to feel that it's natural it's completely it's natural. natural it's completely natural and i always think of this you know the first man on earth adam alayhi salam and uh, when he was lonely and he asked for a companion you know allah created hawa for him Allah didn't create Hawa and Khadija and this and that. <laughs> I'm not, look, I'm not trying that's, to be that's frivolous. One, that's one way of but at I'm it, just sure. saying, you know, the origin of mankind to, is to be was, monogamous. Yeah, was mon- monogamous in that particular sense, and of course, you know, to in that particular populate time. in that particular time, and also to populate the earth. You know, things might have evolved and changed. I'm just saying, at the very bare bones of it all, I think it comes with serious conditions, and you just got to be serious about it and not think it's just a sunnah and I'm going to do it, neglecting all the other sunnahs that there are. You know, I agree. Well, listeners, thanks so much for listening to another one of our epic episodes. We're going to have a few more. Ep- Epic episodes uh, coming very soon. I know we've been really slow with our episode releases, but each one is going to be meaningful. Inshallah. So, inshallah, stay tuned. Right. And also, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with your friends and family and um, just keep following us and stay tuned. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Thanks for listening. Lafez. You've been listening to Nafisa and Tasneem. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our show. Don't forget to subscribe, share and review. Follow us on Insta and Facebook at NotAnotherMumPod as well as on Twitter, mum underscore pod. You can also listen to all our pods on www.notanothermumpod.com as well as on all your favourite podcast platforms. Shall we go to bed now? (coughs) Really? I can't cuddle you. I can't fit in your bed. Yes, be awake forever. Good night, children. Say Allahumma. Allahumma. Bismika. Amutu. Wahia. Allahumma. Bismika. Amutu.